listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. We're talking about how to prep yourself for production. And um, I'll explain more about what that means, but uh, if we could start together, I'll tell you one one area where where I want to start with you is uh, in 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bible, I want you to go there with me, uh, the book of 2 Timothy, and a little Bible trivia for you. This is the last letter that the Apostle Paul ever wrote in his life before his execution. 2 Timothy was his last letter. And um, uh, he teaches something that we've gone over a little bit in the the broadcast before, but I want to... um, I want to show you this, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and uh, verse 16 and 17, very important. The Bible says, all scripture, all of it, is breathed out by God. Now, I like that breathed out by God. Again, here's a place, by the way, where the English Standard Version literally tells us what the Greek manuscripts say in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, other translations of the Bible may read, all scripture is inspired by God. But that's not literally what the, the manuscripts say. They actually do say God breathed or breathed out by God. As I've taught before in the broadcast, that's the Greek word that only occurs once in the whole New Testament, theonoustos, and it means breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. So what is scripture scripture profitable for? Well, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God, and that's obviously the messenger of God is the, the literal translation, so it could be man or woman. The messenger of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Now, I was recently on a Twitter thread and this guy said, you know, he said, obviously the doctrines of the Bible, he said, some of them can be sorted out uh, by looking at the text of scripture. He said, but many of them cannot be. And you also, you don't just need good hermeneutical and, and exegesis hermeneutical understanding and exegesis of the text, but you need philosophy. And I, re- I had to reply to that. I said, you don't, I said, you obviously don't believe in the sufficiency of scripture because that's not what Paul taught. Paul didn't teach that we needed philosophy on top of good tr- teaching and exegesis of the scripture. The scripture itself is sufficient. And I want you to write that in, in, in the uh, comments today. The scripture itself is sufficient. We don't need other things in order to be complete, right? We don't need other elements in order to be complete. The scripture is sufficient. The doctrine of uh, the sufficiency of scripture is in place. The scripture does what it needs to do. We don't need other elements. The scripture is sufficient. And Paul teaches that. He said that, All scripture that's breathed out by God 
it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training so that the man of God may be complete. So think about this. If the scripture wasn't sufficient, then the man or woman of God could not be complete through scripture alone. But according to, to Paul, we can be trained in such a way through the scripture that we are complete and equipped for every good work. So if the scripture was not sufficient, then you say, well, there are, there are many things I can do from the training I got from scripture, but there are some things I just cannot do unless I have man's philosophy. Well, that's not true. That's not what Paul teaches. Paul is teaching Timothy here that the scripture itself can train you to a place where you are complete, lacking nothing, equipped for every good work, every good work. And following obviously the teachings of scripture, one of those being to be baptized in the power of the Holy Ghost. And we know that Jesus said he would lead us and guide us into all truth. Well, the Holy Spirit is never going to contradict the written word of God. Never. They work together. And so through studying scripture and obeying its commands, we can be complete and look at this. I love this because it's where we're going today and equipped for every good work. Even what we're doing right now, fasting and prayer, we wouldn't even know too fast if we didn't find it in the scripture. That's the reason we're fasting and praying. We have found it in the scripture. We wouldn't know to pray unless it was found in the scripture. The scripture is our guide. It's our parameters uh, for how to live our lives successfully in the kingdom of God. So we're talking about how to uh, prepare ourselves for production. Um, just in case we need to go over this again, I will quickly. Um, in John chapter 15, the Bible tells us that Christ is the vine, we are the branches, and God is the vine dresser, Jesus said. And then he's, he's inspecting the branches and saying, do they produce fruit? Are they producing See, we're prepping ourselves for production. That's what we're talking about today. So, so God inspects us and says, is he producing? Is she producing? Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? And God's always inspecting. And Jesus said that as long as you remain in me, if you're a part of me, abiding in me, you will produce much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. But then notice that it's a choice. Because according to Jesus, not everyone who's connected to him is producing fruit. And that's clear in John 15. He said, there will be some that though they're connected to me, they'll not be producing fruit. And when the vine dresser, God, sees that, what will he do? According to Jesus, he cuts them off. And then what? Throws them into a pile to be burned. Whereas he looks at people that are producing fruit and what will God do to them? According to Jesus, God will prune those branches. And when God prunes those branches, they'll produce even more fruit, even more fruit. So, uh, the key being we have to choose to not only prepare ourselves for production, but we've got to choose to produce. But we cannot produce in the kingdom 
without being prepped for production. And I'm going to deal with that from Matthew chapter 13 today. We're going to talk about how. So if, if we understand, number one, that the scripture equips us, well, let me give you the foundation. If we understand that God expects fruit and we understand that Jesus is looking for us to produce fruit, we're supposed to be productive members of the kingdom of God with evident fruit production. Okay, well, we know that's the expectation. Well, then here's the question. How do we get that? How do we get to that place? Well, uh, Paul taught Timothy, as I read to you, that the word of God prepares us. It corrects us. It trains us. It instructs us. It, it puts us on, on the right path so that we're complete and equipped. So the word of God completes us and equips us for every good work. All right. Well, then if that's the case and every Christian's got the word of God, how come every Christian's not producing? If every Christian has the word of God, we all have the word of God, then why is it that Christians are producing fruit at different levels? See, here's the real question. So what do we, what separates those people? What do we need to do to be extremely productive versus somebody who doesn't have much fruit in their life, in their ministry, whatever? I, I don't see much fruit from him. I see a ton of fruit from her. You see what I mean? So what is it that defines that? What is it that, that brings that to pass? Matthew 13 tells us. Matthew 13 gives us the answer to what preps us for that kind of production. Let's get there. So Jesus tells this parable in Matthew 13. And this parable is really the definition uh, of, of fruit production for every believer, any believer. And so uh, we have to break down what Jesus is teaching so that we know what to guard ourselves against and then what direction to point the ship, if you will. What direction are we going to go to ensure the most fruit is going to be produced in our lives, okay? So um, Michael is apparently uh, confused because we are not saved by works. Yeah, we're not talking about being saved. We're not talking about salvation. We receive our salvation by grace through faith in what Jesus did. No question about that. But I taught this a couple of days ago. I don't know, Tiff, if you can even remember what, what day it was that I dealt with this when I did the whole teaching on John 15. One thing that the, the New Testament is clear about is that after you get saved, you are required to produce works. You don't get saved through works, lest any man should boast, the Bible says. We're saved by grace through faith. But after we get saved, there are works that are expected of the believer. And as James writes, faith without works is dead, being alone. So there are things that are expected of us by God. It's the difference, Michael, between righteousness and holiness. Righteousness is a position that God places you in once you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Notice 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, that is Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, that through him, through what he did, we might be made, made the righteousness of God in Christ. He made us 
the righteousness of God in Christ. We didn't make ourselves that. He made us that by grace through faith. But notice, holiness is not the same as righteousness. Righteousness is a position in which you stand. Holiness is the actions that you take from that position. Righteousness is not a choice. Righteousness is uh, an endowment, if you will. It's, per, it's something that's given to you. But holiness is a choice. Holiness is something that you do actively. And so here we can see that Jesus is saying the same thing, that he expects actions of his people. Notice he did not say in John 15 that it was your fruit that caused you to be connected to me. He doesn't teach that. In fact, he teaches the opposite. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing, right? So nobody could have produced fruit than to be connected to Christ. It doesn't work that way. You are connected to Christ and then you produce fruit. See, it is the connection you have with Christ that allows you to produce fruit. Doesn't mean every believer will produce fruit. It just means that it allows you to produce fruit, right? Just because, like for example, if I were to, uh, uh, let's say plug, let's say I plugged an appliance into the wall outlet, that connection to power allows that computer, let's say, to turn on. It doesn't mean I have to turn it on. It just means that if I do, it has the power to turn on. If I unplug the computer from the wall, I can flip that switch back and forth all day, on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off. It won't matter in which position the, the switch is flipped because without the connection to power, it has no ability to turn on. It just has to remain by default and off. Same thing Jesus is saying. If you're not plugged into me, you can try all you want, but you can't produce fruit. But once you are connected to Christ, you have the ability, the power to produce fruit. You can be turned on. See what I mean? But doesn't, doesn't mean every believer will be turned on to produce fruit. And that's what we're getting to today. Fruit is expected of every Christian, but some are not fruitful. Why is that? Well, Matthew 13 tells us why. And Jesus tells this parable of the sower. Very, very important parable, by the way. Very important parable. Um, and by the way, um, this parable is so important because it is really, if you want to think about it this way, the foundational parable and principle of the kingdom. Listen to this. Uh, Matthew 13, I'll start with verse three. And Jesus told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun arose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, 
let him hear. Now, I want to show you something. People have, I've heard people read this parable and teach it in the context of financial giving. And this has nothing to do, absolutely zero to do with financial giving. And people have taught, Lord, I pray you'd bless some a hundredfold and some 60-fold and some 30-fold. This has nothing to do with financial giving at all. You can't even bring it into the realm of financial giving because it's important to read it in context of what Jesus is teaching because he then explains the parable of the sower in the same chapter. So if we jump down now, to the 18th verse of Matthew 13, Jesus fully explains this parable. And it's not talking about financial giving. It's not talking about that kind of seed. And if you look at the, if you look at the, the different parts of the parable, financial giving wouldn't even make sense. It wouldn't even make sense. So let, let's, let's, let's look at what he is teaching. Hear then the parable of the sower. When any, this is verse 18 and down to verse 23. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. You see that? You ask yourself, um, well, how did, how would that how would that apply to to uh, financial giving. It doesn't. It doesn't. You have to read the Bible in the context of what Jesus is teaching and what the writers are teaching. So look at this now. The Bible says that the first type of person, the first type of ground that receives the word is, if we go back to uh, verse three, they fell along the path. And birds came immediately and devoured them. All right, so what's the first type of person? The first type of person, according to Jesus, is the person who hears the word of God preached or taught and does not understand it. So here we encounter problem number one. Break this down with me now. Problem number one, we're prepping ourselves for production. So how do we ensure that we're not in that group of problem number one. What's the problem? They hear the word preached and taught and they do not understand it. They do not understand it. Uh, let me, let me go on further. Not just preached or taught, right? Not just preached or taught, but even when you read the Bible for yourself. And this is why I was giving instruction on, uh, Bible translations, right? The reason, the reason I, uh, I, I made that point is because what good does it do if you read the Bible in a translation that you can't understand? That, it does you no good. Reading the Bible just for the discipline of it makes no sense. It does you no good. You've got to read the Bible in a way that you can understand it. Otherwise, what's the problem? The thief comes immediately, the enemy comes immediately, according to this, and snatches away what has been sown. This is why I can't understand these preachers that want to sound so uh, lofty 
You know, they use words nobody can understand. You know, they're, they're like above everybody's head all the time. For what purpose? Are you trying to impress other preachers? Like, why would people speak like that? Why not give it to people in a way that they can easily understand and digest? Look what, now, you think there are better speakers than Jesus? Jesus had the spirit without measure. Jesus was extremely intelligent. And look what Jesus did. Jesus was speaking to people, but he spoke to people in such a way that they could understand what he was talking about. They could understand what he meant. Why would he try to go above their head? See, and so you get this. Jesus was not, now there were things that were shrouded, obviously, when he taught, and that's no question about that. The New Testament shows us that, that purposely he would shroud some things that were not to be revealed. But look, people didn't come to say, I can't go to those, those meetings with Jesus. He just talks and I have no, one, no idea what he's talking about. I got no idea. I go out there, I got no idea. People were flocking to him. People don't flock to those that, first of all, bore them or that confuse them and that don't understand them. People were flocking to him to receive. And they understood him. And their hearts were filled with joy and their hearts were filled with peace because they understood and received what he said, what he taught. I'm not talking about the Pharisees. I'm talking about the people that he ministered to. So uh, he said there's people that they hear it and sadly... They do not understand it. Hmm. Let me, this, this same parable is mirrored in Mark chapter four. Let me show you this because he, he makes a statement here that I want you to get. Jesus said, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Which means uh, that this parable is, is foundational to all the parables. Listen now, the sower sows the word. These are the ones along the path. When the word is sown, they hear Satan immediately comes and takes the word that is in them. So notice that it is important to understand what you hear and what you read. It's important to understand what you hear and what you read. One of the best ways, and I, I want to give you this because it'll help you, especially as, we're, as you get into deeper biblical principles and the doctrines of the Bible. One of the ways that you know that you truly understand what you've read or what you've heard preached or what you've heard taught, one of the ways you know for sure is that you can clearly explain it to someone else. Clearly explain it to someone else. In fact, I was doing a study on, on learning uh, not long ago, and they said that actually that is one thing I actually, as I was going through my Greek lessons, one of the things that I read the professor say, he said, it's actually very good that even though you're just starting out learning these things, it's actually good for students to get together and explain the principles of what they're learning to each other. So you can't truly explain something if you don't understand it. And so it's very good. Even if all you did was sit down and write out right? So like we've done this, we talk about studying the word of God. We say, okay, what if I was to sit down and do a quote unquote book report on, on the letter to Titus or the letter to second, the second letter to Timothy or, or something like that. If you were to sit down and say, okay, I read through, uh, the second letter to Timothy. Could I explain to somebody what that letter's about? Like, what if I come up, what if I came up to you after a church one day and I was like, you know, have you ever read Philemon? You're like, oh yeah, I've read Philemon. It's only one chapter. What is it about? What is Philemon about? 
It's like, you know what? I, I don't, I don't really know. I've read it, but I'm not, I'm not sure what it's about. But like, could you explain the principles? Could you explain? And that this is where, by the way, I'm giving you practical things because we're, we're called to fruit production and it takes practical steps to, to accomplish what God's called you to do. You can't just say, well, I just believe that the Holy Spirit's getting it into my spirit. No. Do you understand it? Do you understand it? You know, how can you expect to believe for healing in your body when you don't even understand why we believe in healing as Pentecostal and charismatic Christians? Could you explain to someone else that say, well, why do you guys believe in he- that God heals people of sickness and disease? Would you be able to sit down and say, well, the reason is this and then break it down step by step of why you understand it and why you believe it from the scripture. See, the reason that the enemy is able to steal revelation from so many people's heart is because they don't understand it in the first place. And if you don't understand it, it can be taken from you because then you can easily say, well, you know, maybe it's not true. You know, maybe that's not the way it works. Maybe that's no, when you understand it from the scripture, it can't be stolen from you because it clicks. I get it now. I get exactly what's going on here. I get the principle. I get the covenant. I understand the blood of Jesus. I know what's up. And see, this is why, according to Jesus, so many people don't produce fruit with the word they've heard. It's because what they heard, they don't understand. That's why, like, uh, even on these broadcasts, someone preach, I- I'm not trying to be deep. You know, I want you, I want you to get that. I'm not coming on here trying to impress you with spiritual knowledge. I'm not trying to be deep. I'm trying to take some things that are complex spiritual principles and break them down for you in such a way as like, oh, I get that easy. I easily can get that. That, that makes sense to me. You know, I think about, uh, brother Kenneth Hagin and brother Kenneth Hagin was a marvel because, you know, he was taking deep spiritual principles, the word of faith, authority of the believer, Pauline revelation. And he was, he was teaching it and explaining it to farmers in Texas in a way that a farmer could be like, you know what? I understand that revelation. I get that. I received that and then operate in it and begin to see fruit produced from it. That right there is a blessing to have someone who's not trying to seem super spiritual and super, they're just wanting to break the word of down, word of God down to you in such a way you can produce with it right? Why, what would be the purpose? It's like, can you imagine this? This would like be ridiculous. Can you imagine receiving uh, a Christmas gift that, that had assembly? There was assembly required. Can you imagine breaking open the instructions and the company wrote the instructions in Latin? Why? So we can be like, wow, this is a really lofty company. This company, the people there understand Latin. Who cares? I can't put the thing together because I don't know Latin, right? I don't know it. So yeah, it might be impressive that you can write in it. Might be impressive that you even understand it, but it doesn't help me because I'm trying to put my gift together and I can't assemble it because I don't know what that means. I don't understand it. So as a result, I'm not, I'm missing out on the blessings and benefits of this thing that I was given because I can't understand how to make it work. So what's the purpose of being so lofty and above everybody's head? It keeps people from being able to make it work. You don't want that. You don't want that. And so you got to understand the first step to this is understanding. 
understanding the word of God. What does it mean? What does it mean? Well, this is one of the reasons, you know, that I, uh, not only that I do these broadcasts, but also that we recommend to you study materials. And I recommend to you study Bibles. And I recommend to you uh, different books that will help you learn how to study the Bible. And um, I, I really think it'll be important. I'm, I'm, I've been considering at some point this year doing some sort of a class privately with, with people uh, to teach them step by step to go through and how to study their Bible, how to uh, read the Bible, understand the Bible, apply the Bible. We've had people that are right now, it's like, you know, I need help on how to study the word. I just had somebody tell me yesterday, they said, one of my best friends uh, told me I need to be attached to Bible study classes because I don't understand how to study the Bible. I don't understand how, I don't understand how to study the word. I need people to show me how I should be studying the word of God. It is important. And you can see how it's primarily important according to Jesus, because if you don't understand it, that's the first level of no, no preparation to produce. Boom. It's out the window. It is out the window. So, so what happens? Did you know good to hear the preaching and teaching? Did you know good to sit there for an hour and read your Bible because you don't understand it? And if you don't understand it, boom, the Bible says the thief comes immediately and steals what was heard, what was read. And so I always encourage people, you know, read something you can understand, process it, explain it to somebody else, write it down if you have to. You know, I think to be very honest with you, I think if you were serious about fully understanding the Bible, it's great to journal while you study because can you put those same thoughts into your own words? That is a vital skill for every believer. This is not a school skill. This is a believer's skill because um, what are you going to do when you need to explain that to somebody else? You've got to be able to do it in your own words. You've got to be able to do it in your own words. And I think it's a benefit as you're fasting and praying, as we're reading the, through the Bible. Uh, one of the things you might want to do is like, okay, as, as I'm going through these, we're going to get to the place where we're going through these shorter epistles, these letters from the apostles to the churches. Did you ever think like, okay, I'm going to hit Galatians. And, uh, yeah, and I agree with Hannah. Hannah makes a great point on Facebook. She said, most people are just trying to read it fast. Read slow and ask yourself questions. I totally agree with Hannah on this because uh, what happens is if you're just trying to blow through your Bible reading, what are you getting out of it? What's the point of that? What are you getting out of it? Go slow. Take, even if you have to break it up through several times throughout the day. See, so 11 chapters is a lot. Okay, break it up. Break it up. Maybe do, you know, three, 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 three. And just really read through those three and ask yourself questions. What's he trying to say here? What's he getting across? What's the problem he's addressing? What's the solution he's providing? See what I mean? And, and, and then really get it in your spirit. Really be able to break it down. Read to understand. I will tell you, um, and I know it's a little bit of a, an investment of time, but I, there, there's a book that I would recommend. Maybe Tiff can pop the uh, Amazon link in the, in, the, um, in the comments, but it's called How to Read a Book. And uh, I think I've recommended it on here before, but 
uh, I think you can get the, even the ebook of it, but how to read a book. And it sounds funny to read a book on how to read a book, but it is an eye opener. It's an eye opener because, uh, you start to realize there are these different methods of reading, different kinds of reading that will actually help you to retain the knowledge and use the knowledge. And, and if you've, uh, if you've ever seen the book that we recommend for Bible study called how to read the Bible for all it's worth, uh, Dr. Gordon fee in that book recommends that you read this one, how to read a book. And it's because in the same principles they're teaching from this book, they can be applied to the Bible and you can read the Bible that way. You can study the Bible that way. And so, uh, you can find it, Dr. Mortimer, Jay Adler, and Charles Van Doren, how to read a book. Um, it's on Amazon and we'll pop the link in for you. It's on Kindle and paper paperback, uh, but grab it and, and, you know, go through it. it. It helps you when you're studying and reading the Bible. There's the link for you, um, on the platforms. So it, it's like, why would I invest my time to read and study something only to go and not understand it? Doesn't, it's a waste of your time, right? It's a total waste of your time. So don't be the person that's like, you know what? Uh, you know, I heard the word preached on Sunday. I, most people, they come back next Sunday. What pastor preach on last Sunday? I got, I don't know. I can't, I can't remember. Why can't you remember? No notes were taken. Nothing was journaled. Nothing was put into your, uh, into your bank to be processed. That's why notes are so important. They've even proven, and I don't know the exact statistic, uh, maybe Tiffany does, I'm not sure, but they've proven that uh, when you are hearing something, you are so many times more likely to remember it and use it if you make notes while you're hearing a teaching or while you're uh, studying something. Notes, because something takes place, and they've even shown when you handwrite the notes versus just typing them on a keyboard. Something happens with your brain that's connected to your motor skills when you have to write those things manually down that keeps you into a place where you can uh, remember it and use it. So Jesus says the first problem that keeps people from fruit production is they don't understand what they're hearing or what they're reading. Don't be that person. Put yourself in position for production by understanding what you read. One of the things that'll help too. Yeah, this is an excellent point. AJ makes a great, great point. I, I do that as well. I do the exact same thing. AJ, um, he said, I've made a habit to read introductions or a summary of the book I'm about to read in the Bible. Many study Bibles will have a few paragraphs to give you an idea of what you're about to read. Totally true. And, um, it's like, for example, the life application study Bible, uh, that we offer has that, uh, I believe that the, uh, net Bible full notes edition has that. Um, there are many Bibles that do that. Even, even some normal Bibles will include that little introduction or summary to the book. Um, very important to read those. I love, which is one of the reasons we use it as a tool. I love, um, the intros that the life application study Bible provides to each book of the Bible. I love those because it doesn't just give you a summary. It gives you vital statistics. It shows you the people that it's going to be dealing with the places in the, in the world that it's going to be dealing with key passages, key thoughts. What are the key thoughts of the author? You know, what problems is he trying to deal with all of those things before you even start the book? So it preps you 
for what you're about to ingest. And it's an excellent point, AJ. Uh, the Dake Bible has at the end of each book. It's, it's a great way to, to study by looking at a summary first and, and, and realizing what it is you're about to take in. Excellent point. And I would recommend that you guys do that as well. It helps the understanding. Um, then number two, what's the number two problem? What's the number two problem that Jesus describes? Well, he said the first, though it fell on the path uh, and the birds came and devoured them, other seeds fell on rocky ground. On rocky ground where they didn't have much soil. So immediately they sprang up, but since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. So that's problem number two, people that don't have deep roots. What did Jesus say about it when he was teaching the meaning? Verse 20, he said, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So what are we talking about here? Here we're talking about people that are not rooted in the kingdom. They're not rooted. Now, this is where we get into discipleship. This is when we get into Paul, like he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We're talking about faithfulness, dedication, discipleship, being rooted and planted in the kingdom of God. Because there's all kinds. Do you remember, you know, it's like when you first got saved, you know, you had the zeal before you had the dedication and faithfulness and consecration, right? You got saved, you said a prayer at the altar, maybe you had that, that experience with God, you had all this zeal before you had consecration, dedication, right? Before you had that faithfulness to God. And so what ends up happening when you've got all that excitement, you got all that zeal, you, you're, you're ready. It's like they said, they immediately received the word with gladness. I'm pumped up about this. I'm sorry. But then something comes to resist them. Life, attacks of the devil, other people that don't agree with how they believe. And automatically, because they're not rooted, they've not become disciples. They're not discipled. What happens is that they can be easily swayed. They, they lose it. They lose out. They fall away. Persecution comes. Trials come. Attacks come. And there's no discipleship. Discipline keeps me in. Discipline keeps me in. I want you to put that in the comments. Discipline keeps me in. It's not passion. It's not excitement. It's not zeal. Discipline keeps me in. This is what we're teaching here. That's what Jesus said is the second problem is that people, they're all pumped up. They're all zealous. They're all excited. They've got passion. They've got no discipline. They're not disciples, no root. They're not rooted. It shows an immaturity. Discipline keeps me in, not passion, not zeal, not excitement. Discipline keeps me in. And so the more you are discipled, you take on the disciplines of your master, Jesus. See that right there roots me into this kingdom to the place where I don't care what comes my way, right? Did you build your house on sand or did you build your house on the rock? See, because if you built your house on sand, the foundation's no good. The wind comes, blows you down. Waves come, blow you down. Persecution comes, burns you down. But if you're planted, if you're on the rock, you've got a firm foundation. 
Discipline keeps me in. It's the same in the natural realm. People's passion, I've taught on this so many times on this, on this broadcast. We're coming up on Quitter's Day again. People's passion fades. Excitement fades. Zeal fades. And then the real, real world kicks in. People are like, I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to run today. I'm tired. But discipline keeps me in. I would take discipline over passion a hundred million times out of a hundred million. Give me the discipline because discipline can build the passion, but you've got to have the discipline. It keeps you in. I do it because it's my identity. See, here's what people fail to realize. A good discipline, and James Clear taught this in Atomic Habits, a good discipline will define your identity. Let me say that again and really get this principle into your heart. A good discipline will define your identity. They found that even doing studies on these types of people. The people that were trying to smoke that successfully stopped smoking were the ones who identified and when they were offered a cigarette, they said, no, thank you, I'm not a smoker. Whereas the other ones who kept falling back into the temptation when offered a cigarette, instead of saying that, they would say, no, thank you, I'm trying to quit. I'm trying to quit. What does that mean? I'm still a smoker, but I'm trying to quit being a smoker. Whereas the ones who successfully quit said, no, thank you, I don't smoke. Think about that. A good discipline will define your identity. Why did those people successfully quit smoking? It's because they changed their mindset, identity about who they are. No, the reason I don't smoke is because I'm not a smoker, right? And when we get this, why do I go to church? I don't feel like going to church. No, I go to church not because I feel like going. That's what servants of God do. Whoo, I could teach on this. I could take, I could, I could teach on this for a while. I don't feel like reading my Bible today. I'm too busy. No, no, I'm reading it because that's what children of God do. That's who I am. Well, I don't feel like praying today. No, I'm, I'm praying today because that's what children of God do. It's my identity. Even with exercise, they found out, found that out. When people didn't want to exercise anymore or change their eating habits or any of that stuff, you know what helped them? is when they started, one, one, one guy said, the thing that changed me is that, well, I don't feel like eating that. I feel like eating something else. But why would I eat the salad over the whatever, the burger? He said, because when I started identifying as an athlete, he said, even though I wasn't a professional athlete, even though I didn't do it for my career, he said, I started saying, I'm an athlete. You know, I work out, I run, I eat right. And when I was tempted, my identity would take over. The good discipline builds an identity. My identity would take over and say, no, I don't eat that because athletes don't eat that. I eat this because athletes eat this. See? And that same discipline identity uh, correlation brings you into that place of discipline where you say, you know what? No, I don't do that anymore because servants of God don't do that. No, I don't talk like that anymore because the servants of God don't talk like that. No, I don't go there anymore because servants of God don't go there, right? I do this because servants of God do this. And your identity. See, once that identity change takes place, the, the habits change in your life. And you're no longer depending on passion and you're not depending on, on uh, zeal or excitement or a feeling in order to make something happen. No, now you're dependent upon the disciplines or the parameters of your identity.
That's very, very important. Very, very important. And so what is he saying here? These people have not been discipled into the kingdom. They got no roots. See, when you put those roots down, that's your discipleship kicking in. That's the, that's the identity. This is who I am. I'm not in and out of church because servants of God aren't in and out of church. I'm not a church hopper. I'm faithful because servants of God are faithful. I don't go to church once every five weeks like the average person in America. I go every time the doors are open because that's what servants of God do. See what I mean? And so it's the discipleship aspect. It's me being plugged in and planted in the kingdom of God. It's the second issue that Jesus said keeps people from producing fruit in the kingdom of God. Notice how he said they would produce fruit through the word they were received. I started with this today. All scriptures breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching and correction and reproof, training and under righteousness so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. This word is the seed that goes into your spirit that allows you to produce fruit. This is the fuel. So the key being, uh, if you're not, if you're not discipled, if you're not taking that in, say, well, you know, I just don't feel like it. It's not about what we feel. It's about the disciplines of the identity change. And I do this no matter how I feel, no matter how I feel. I talk like this, no matter how I feel. I go to church, no matter how I feel. I pray no matter how I feel. And Jesus said, these are the ones that the deep roots go into the ground, discipleship. They cannot be. How many of you put a hand up in the comments if you've seen that kind of a believer? It's like, man, they were on fire two months ago and then all of a sudden something happened in their family and they've not been in church for two, three months. They went quickly from being like on fire at the altar every Sunday, dancing and shouting to like, we don't see them. We don't even see them. They're gone, man. I was like, where have you been? Gone. What, what causes those swings to happen? Those massive swings on fire at the altar, dancing, shouting, praising, giving, crying. And all, we don't, we haven't seen him in four months. What, what, what causes that kind of a swing? Jesus explains it. Jesus explains it. He said, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. That type of a person immediately falls away. So it's not just understanding. That's number one. Understanding keeps the enemy from stealing it from you. But number two, being discipled, planting those roots in the kingdom, making that identity, understanding that identity change. This is who I am. Those roots will keep persecution, tribulation, any opposition from pushing you out of fruit production. I refuse to stop producing because someone doesn't like it. My family doesn't like it. My, my, my mother doesn't like it. My, my, my brothers and sisters, my friends at work, they think I'm not. Get new friends. Pray for your family. But stop surrounding yourself with people that are going to oppose you. This is one of the things I've never understood. If you're a Christian, why do you continue to maintain relationships with people who oppose you for your Christian beliefs when you say, this is the most important thing in my life because it's eternal. It's heaven or hell. And pleasing God is the number one priority of any child of God. So why would I maintain relationships with people who oppose my choices? Why would I maintain those relationships? Why would I say, you know what? We've just known each other since high school. So, you know, we, we, why would I do that? 
That, that's foolishness. That's why it's so vitally important who you allow in your life, who you allow around you. Don't allow people that are opposing you and bringing tribulation and persecution. You get enough of that from the world. You get enough of that from the world. So that's the second issue. What's the third issue that keeps people from producing? According to Christ, other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Okay, so that's the third problem, thorny ground. So the third problem is this, verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word and it proves unfruitful. Okay, so now we got another problem. It's not that they didn't understand the word. It's not that they're not rooted in the kingdom. It's just that though they are disciples of Christ, they have allowed the cares of this world. That's the first thing in their, that, that they deal with. And the deceitfulness of riches, the second thing they deal with. So two things that are working against the disciples of Christ. What does the Bible say? We walk by faith and not by sight. Not by fear, not by sight. So what is it so extremely easy to do in 2022, 2021, 2020, whatever year you want to talk about? The thing that makes it e that's easy to do is to keep your eyes on what's going on in the natural realm and then acting accordingly based upon what you've seen in the natural. Well, this is what the government's doing. This is what the economy's doing. This is what the culture's doing. Whatever. Whatever. And then what happens is we're making decisions based upon what we see versus the faith we have in God's word. And it is the cares of this world. It's the cares of this world. So for the first problem, how do we solve the first problem? We go from not understanding to understanding, taking active steps to understand, to have a full understanding of what we hear taught, what we hear preached or what we read. How do we fix the second problem? We go from being that flippant passion and zeal led believer to a discipled, disciplined in the kingdom, rooted and grounded believer. Discipline keeps me in. But the third problem, how do we deal with the cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches? Well, according to the scripture, uh, the cares of this world that put a weight on your shoulders, <laughs> There's what, what we call a spirit of heaviness. Isaiah 61 talks about it. A spirit of heaviness. Anybody watching me can easily see and know that throughout these last two years that a spirit of heaviness has tried to come upon the body of Christ. Everywhere that I've gone, I've ministered to people for this very issue. That I said, how many of you that you've been attacked emotionally, mentally, the enemy's tried to put depression on you, fear on you, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. And I'm talking 70% of the hands go up. Why? Because the devil is doing his best to put a spirit of heaviness on the body of Christ. Because it is joy, get this now, it is joy that drives you forward. The joy of the Lord is your strength. A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit, 
dries up your bones. So what does the devil know? He can't just take your strength from you. So he tries to put things in front of your eyes that steal your joy, but you can't have your joy stolen. It's always surrendered. Whew. I could preach on that. Put that in the comments and write it in your notes. My joy cannot be stolen. It can only be surrendered. Man, if people could get that, just that. My joy cannot be stolen. It can only be surrendered. You know what that means? It means that I would give, I would willingly give up my joy and trade it for the cares of this world. That's what people do. They, because question, where does your joy come from? The presence of God in his presence is fullness of joy. Whoo. Get that in his presence. Psalm 1611 is fullness of joy. So joy is an element that comes out of the presence of God. So if you're the one who has the connection with God from which you pull the joy and it is your strength and it's a medicine to your body, how does it get taken from you? It can't get taken. How could, let me ask you a question. How could Satan steal anything from inside your covenant? He can't. He has no access to your covenant. Satan has no access to your covenant. He has no access to your salvation. He has no access to your healing. He has no access to your financial provision. He has no access to your peace and joy. So what does he have to do? Trick you, deceive you into surrendering your joy and peace. Whoo! My joy cannot be stolen. It can only be surrendered. Think about it. My joy cannot be stolen. It can only be surrendered, which means, which means that these people that Jesus is speaking about, because of the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, they've surrendered their joy. They've surrendered their peace. And now, instead of receiving the word with gladness, they're allowing the weight of what's going on in the natural realm cause them to surrender that joy, surrender that peace. Remember, your joy, your peace, they are not... uh, event-based. They're not situational. It's the best way to say it. They're not event-based. I'm not happy because something's happening. I'm happy. I'm joyful because of what the word of God said and the access it gives me to God's presence. Get that in your heart. My joy, my peace is not situational. It's not event-based. It's based upon the word of God, which gives me access to the presence of God. Hallelujah. Woo, glory to God. And so in order for it to be taken, I have to surrender it. I've got to surrender it. Don't fall into the trap Jesus is speaking of, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches. And then I surrender what is my fuel for purpose based on the natural realm. And that stops people from producing the word. You realize that is a obstacle. It's an obstacle to producing with the word you've received. 
They immediately look at the ones before them. Those that don't have roots, they immediately receive it with joy, but then. I don't want to immediately receive with joy and then lose what God said is mine. So in every second, I love what Paul taught the church. He said, in all circumstances, rejoice. In all circumstances, rejoice. Give thanks in every circumstance. Uh, as, as the psalmist wrote, rejoice in the Lord always. That means not based on situation. At all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. Whew, come on. His praise will continually be in my mouth. It's an all the time thing. Give thanks always. For this is the will of Jesus Christ concerning you. Uh, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll bless the Lord at all times. It's an all the time thing. So by staying in that joy, by, by getting into that joy, no, it's not about not being able to cry and have sad moments. It's that we don't let them rule our lives. It's not that, it's not that we negate the fact that we have emotions. It's that we rein them in. And we realize my emotions don't control me. My spirit man controls me. Every person has emotions. Every person deals with feelings and emotions. But here's the deal. Just because you do doesn't mean you allow those feelings or emotions to control your decisions and your life. And that's key. That's why it's, it's like, it's, what do you think? There's ever been a Christian that didn't have thoughts that came against their mind? Well, of course, we all have thoughts that come against our mind. But we take every thought captive and we make it obey Jesus Christ, as the Apostle Paul wrote to the church, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We take those thoughts captive. Yes, I have thoughts that pop into my mind, but then once they pop in, I have a choice as to whether or not I will meditate on those things or if I'll take them captive and make them obey Christ and what the Word of God said. Right? I will not conform to this world, but I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind. So there's a transformation that takes place. So you don't look like everybody else. And we operate in joy. If people understood. So let me give you this last thing before we, before we pray, because I'm talking about prepping yourself for production. Did you ever say like, I wonder why, we, why do we start our church services with praise and worship? How can we never start any other way? How can we always start with singing? It's not because it's some tradition. It's not just because that's the liturgical method that, we, that we've employed over these uh, you know, many uh, centuries of, of the Christian church. It's because it's a scriptural principle and a scriptural, uh, uh, God has his own methodology. So we, we go by his system that he's created. We enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, right? He's the one that defined that. So look at what it does though, because I think here's what people miss. Here's the functional part of praise and worship that many people don't ever uh, uh, realize, is that as we praise God, as we worship God, our Bible promises us that God then inhabits the praises of his people. And on top of that, he comes in. So if he's inhabiting it, we're in his presence. And in his presence is fullness of joy. So praise is the quickest access into the presence of God scripturally. And it is also the access 
into the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. Which means when we think about it uh, from a logical perspective, we all have to live in the natural world. We're going to work. We work among people that don't believe in Christ, that don't uh, uh, live by uh, scriptural principles. They don't walk in love. They're not peaceful. They're not joyful. They're, many of them are in turmoil and in crises in their own lives. And then that they, because of what they're dealing with, many times it will affect how they interact with you. So you've got all these things that you're dealing with, plus what's going on on the news, plus what's going on in the culture and all the things you're facing. You come into the uh, church for church service and the last thing, I mean, unless you've been so disciplined about uh, prepping yourself and curating your own atmosphere, you come into the church and you're like, I don't feel like praising God. I don't feel like hearing the word. I didn't even feel like coming tonight. That's the average person. But you know what we do? We praise God first. That's number one. And because we praise him, what does it do? What does it do? The joy of the Lord becomes our strength. We have a God. What did Isaiah 61? I have given unto them a garment of praise for, in exchange for, the spirit of heaviness. So as we praise God, that spirit of heaviness has to lift and the garment of praise, which brings us into the overwhelming joy of God, comes upon every believer. It is a systematic process that brings us into a place. Now that's, that's not the end. Look what the end result is. It takes that care of the world away, takes that deceitfulness of riches away. It moves all those obstacles out. So now, once I'm done praising, once I'm done worshiping, guess what? I can sit down and open my Bible, hear my pastor preach a word and receive it with gladness and not have it fall on thorny ground, not have it fall on rocky ground and not have it fall on the footpath and be stolen immediately because I just prepped myself to receive the word. Think about that. I just prepped myself to receive the word with gladness and not just receive it, produce fruit with it. Hallelujah. I can now produce fruit. And so look what Jesus said. Other seeds fell on good soil. Somebody put it in the comments. That will be me in Jesus' name. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Look at that. A harvest is going to be produced in your life. Some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. Whew. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case, a hundredfold in another 60 and in another 30. So notice it by just doing these three things. We are prepping ourselves for production in the kingdom of God to the point where I'll never hear the word and not be able to produce fruit with it. I'll never be in a place where I diminish, where my leaves wither, where I'm not able to prosper in all that I do because I'm keeping myself in a spot. And again, please let me be very clear about this one. Every one of us individually are the ones who are required to keep ourselves in that place right? God is never going to do this for us. Christ is never going to do this for us. He gives us the method, but we are required 
to keep ourselves as good ground. We are the ones that are required to keep ourselves as good ground. So again, as, as I'm wrapping up, what's the, what's the big ideas from today? This, number one, I've got to make sure I understand what's taught, what's preached, and what I read. I must. That is a must. So forget blowing through your Bible reading plan. Forget just speeding through it so you can get to your Netflix show. You might as well not even do it if you don't understand it. It's better for you to break it up throughout the day, take small portions, read it, digest it, ask yourself questions, ask questions of the text and say, do I really get this? Do I really get what's being said? Use a study Bible along the way, throw some notes up, use blue, blue letter Bible, use biblegateway.com, use biblehub.com, all kinds of free resources, but throw some commentary up next to it. Throw the Life Application Study Bible, throw the, the Net Bible with Full Notes Edition, the Dakes Bible, the, whatever you got to do, the ESV Study Bible, and, and, and ask some questions, read some commentaries. Say, you know what? What are some notes here written by guys that will help me understand uh, more of what's being said? Compare translations if you need to. Okay, this is what the ESV says. How does the NLT say it? How does the NLT say it? How does the NIV say it? How does the NET say it? Right? The book, Jody said, before we close, I have issues with comprehension. What is that book called again? It's called how to read a book, how to read a book. It will help you a lot. Help me. It helped me a lot. So number one, we got to ensure that we understand God won't make us understand. However, the Holy spirit works with us. He will bring things to our remembrance. He'll lead us and guide us into all truth. We have the mind of Christ right? So we're not like an unbeliever when it comes to understanding, but we still have to put in the work to understand. Secondly, discipline keeps me in. I've got to be a disciple. I've got to be driven by identity and disciplines versus excitement and passion. This is huge. This is number two. I've got to be driven by discipline and identity versus excitement, passion. I can't let those things drive me because they will fade. They will fade. There'll be, there'll be many days they're not even there, but discipline and identity will keep me in that rooted and grounded in the kingdom of God. And then finally, we're not going to be thorny ground. The cares of this world aren't going to stop us. The deceitful of deceitfulness of riches aren't going to stop us. We're not going to allow a spirit of heaviness to keep us from receiving the word of God. So what are we going to do? Put on a garment of praise, get into the presence of God, let joy overtake us. And as joy overtakes us, guess what? Now our heart is prepared to receive the word of God. We're prepping ourselves pr for production. You're going to be more productive in this one year than you have been in the last five years in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You'll produce more for the kingdom of God and in your family, your business, your whatever it is you're called to. More in one year. This is our year of divine possession. Hallelujah divine possess we're, we're moving forward with force with force i'm so excited i'm so excited for what god's getting ready to do and it's going to be supernatural i'm going to pray here in a moment but i can't wait for tonight at nine o'clock i'm just telling you get ready for tonight at nine o'clock we're gonna i got a word of my spirit as we continue in this fast the best days are ahead they're not behind us get ready for this divine possession is ours i want to pray because God's looking for productive people. And I know that's you. That's the victory tribe. That's who we are. That's who we are. And I'm telling you, 
we are going to see supernatural fruit production. Get ready for your mind to be blown. <laughs> get ready for those of you that have your own business, get ready to sign the biggest contracts, the most clients. Get ready for your mind to be blown with the production. See, because God's raising you up, even in your business, God is raising you up to be a pillar of generosity in the kingdom, that you will be a kingdom financier. I want you to get that phrase in your spirit. God is raising you up to be a kingdom financier, someone who funds the agenda of God, and he will cause you to explode. He will cause you to increase so that, because he knows your heart, he gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Amen. Get ready for it. Father, I pray for every person who's been watching today, that's been listening today. I ask you in the mighty name of Jesus that you would open these supernatural doors quickly. Father, we will be in position to produce for your kingdom. Our hearts are in position. Our minds are yielded to you. I pray, Lord, that you would give us understanding like we've never had. As Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, I pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding. Let us see what we've never seen in Jesus' name. Let us see what we, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you to see what we've never seen, to do what we've never done in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. We thank you ahead of time that we are going to explode in productivity. We're going to increase like we never have. This is going to be a year that will cause us to laugh all the way to the end of the year. All the way to the end of the year. Hallelujah. We give you glory. We give you praise. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. You'll see the information on the screen. I'm giving you an opportunity to sow as we're fasting and praying. And I'm challenging you to sow by faith. If you're believing for the biggest things you've ever seen financially, it's going to take the seeds that you've never sown before. Levels of sowing that you've never entered into yet. That's why we always move to increase ourselves. That's why we set goals. Carolyn and I definitely set goals. And we broke those goals by the grace of God by a lot in 2021. But that's not the end. Get ready for 2022. I vowed to the Lord and so did she that we're going to do this every year more for the kingdom than last year. And he's the one that gives seed to the sower. When he knows you're a giver, he releases seed into your hand. Hallelujah. We had somebody recently write in and said, you know, I, I really wanted to sow a seed of a thousand and they needed a thousand. And somebody put into their hand $2,000. Just literally within days of them saying, Lord, I want to sow a thousand in the miracle word. And somebody put 2,000 in their hand. And they said, I had a thousand that I needed and I sowed a thousand like I wanted to do. He gives seed to the sower. He gives seed to the sower. So uh, vow to God. Say, Lord, this is going to be the year. I'll do more for you than I've ever done. Maybe you've wanted to partner with this ministry and you never have had a chance to yet. And you're saying, God, put that seed in my hand. He'll do it. He'll do it. Thank you, Jackie Blake. Zach Ramsey said, set a goal for the year, broke it in May. Look at that. Why? He gives seed to the sower. He gives seed to the sower. And he gives bread to the eater. But that, I want you to catch this. Bread's not your harvest. Bread is not your harvest. Bread is the thing that uh, sustains you until your harvest. It's the same person. 
He gives seed to the sower, bread to the eater. They're the same person. The eater sows and the sower eats. He gives you something to sow. He gives you something to eat. Then your harvest comes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jackie, for standing with us at a thousand. There's people that are watching like, you know what? I need to partner. I need to stand with you. In the month of January, we're going to do it a little bit differently. For those that are uh, sowing um, at the partnership level, $85 or more this month, um, we have a book by Dr. Lester Sumrall. This is one of my favorite books because it's a, it's a, a story. It's crazy stories, if you want to know the truth, of his journeys of faith, even when he was young in ministry. And it's called Adventuring with Christ. Uh, how he met Howard Carter, how he went around the world, supernatural things that took place. It's one of the most faith-building books <clears throat> for a life of faith that you, could, that you could read. It's called Adventuring with Christ. That's our gift to you in the month of January for those that are sowing uh, at $85 or more. Then, for those that are sowing at $250 or more, um, I'm going to include another book with that called How We Got Our Bible. This is one of the most eye-opening things it gives you an appreciation for the scripture that we have, but it also, if you've ever wondered, you know, how did the, how did we, how did we get 66 books? How did we find these? What, what caused us to have the Bible? This is one of the best books. I think there's over a million copies of it in print and it'll open your eyes. It's one of the most important reads that you could make as a Christian, understanding how we got our Bible. For those sewing at $250 or more this month, we're going to send you both of those. And then of course, for those of you that uh, are standing with us at $1,000 or more this month, uh, we're going to include those. Plus, we're giving you a NET, a net Bible, full notes edition. One of my favorite things. It's a gem. It really is. It's one of the most important things that's been given to Christians uh, in the last, I believe, 100 years. It's an excellent resource. And so uh, for those of you that are standing with us to see the gospel preached, that's what we're going to do for you. Once you've sowed, you can actually go to um, uh, miracleword.com forward slash offer, and you can uh, request that in the drop down there. And I say thank you again, all week this week, 9 p.m. Eastern time, we're meeting uh, the resource. Just repeat the resource, please. I don't know which resource you're speaking of at this point. Huh? Oh, the, the, the Net Bible, the New English Translation Full Notes Edition uh, in a leather like, I wish they made a, a genuine leather. They make a leather style uh, binding, which we're, we're sending to you. But it's, it's an excellent resource. I love it. Um, 9 p.m. all week. Don't miss. Last night was awesome. I, I was built up. My own faith was built as I was preaching to you. Uh, we're meet, be, meeting back again tonight, 9 o'clock. Don't forget our Bible reading plan. Uh, today is Matthew, the, Matthew 12 through 22. Uh, all of those are posted in the private Facebook group. If you're not a part of it, jump in with us. Jump in with us. All you got to do is go to our website, miracleword.com. You'll see the link to go to the Facebook page. Uh, it's a private group. Request to join. We'll let you in. That's where all the questions and answers are happening. Conversation, interaction, uh, posting things in there to help you. Uh, I just gave a, uh, I just gave a, a resource for a greens drink and also electrolytes as you fast. So if you want to get the link, go to miracleword.com and on the homepage, you'll see a link to go to the private Facebook page. Join us, man. It's, it's going to be a great 21 days. I'm blown away. We've already got over 500 and I think 50 people 
that are in the group fasting and praying and believing God for miracles. It's going to be the best year of our lives in Jesus' mighty name. I love every one of you. This is going to be a powerful week, man. Congratulations for, uh, I commend you, I really do, for being one of those people that are uh, serious about seeking the face of God. And fasting is no joke. Pray, fast, watch what God's going to do quickly through this year of 2022. I love you guys so very much. Again, these two books are available now on Kindle, Apple Books, and then on Amazon in your territory. Uh, grab these. They will help you immensely. Number one, a complete guide to biblical fasting. This is every single thing you need to know about fasting from the Bible, a full out resource. And then of course the companion devotional that just was released, the 21 day fast field guide. It guides us through uh, these 21 days of fasting and prayer. It will help you immensely. Both are available on ebook and paperback. Did it for you guys. I love you so much. I'll see you tonight, nine o'clock. Have a great one. I'll talk to you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.